Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Soprano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Jim Eng. And Jim is going to give us some insight into the creative process and also some insight into building golf courses on sites where you wouldn't necessarily think a golf course could be built. But before we get going with Jim, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a great supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a lot of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So again, we're glad to have them on board with us, and we hope you enjoy our conversation with Jim. Well, Jim, it's awesome to get you on the, the podcast. I think the first thing people want to know is what have you been up to recently? Where are you at, and where have you been working these days? Uh, hi, Guy. Um, yeah, right now we uh, we have a project in Vietnam that's going to open uh, officially open in December, uh, just north of Ho Chi Minh City. And we're about ready to break ground on a project in Pueblo, Mexico, where they have uh, a quite significant volcano at, uh, at high altitude in the mountains. So that, <laughs> that's got a pretty, pretty big contrast and kind of interesting. You've worked at some amazing places. Have you worked on a volcano site before? Well, I wouldn't call it a volcano site, but the, the clubhouse is going to be looking right at the volcano. And the thing was active a few years ago and uh, spewed out a whole bunch of stuff with flames coming out of it. So it could be interesting, but... You know, I wouldn't call it a volcano site. It's it's mostly a limestone uh, sort of uh, sort of uh, a material that we're going to be working in. Vietnam obviously has a lot of golf projects going on. What is your site like there, and what has it been like working in that country? Well, I've you know I've been working in Asia since oh boy since the '80s, and so uh, you know all the Asian cultures are a little different, and uh, I enjoy all of them actually. But uh, uh, the site is. Uh, you know, part of it was pretty interesting with trees and terrain, and part of it was was very docile, and we kind of created some uh, unique and interesting things there. Are you doing any work in the United States right now? No, no, not much. We uh, our last project was uh, in in North Dakota. We uh, just opened the uh, Minot Country Club, which is uh, the the old Minot Country Club, which was uh, built in I think in the in the twenties or thirties, and. Uh, they uh, flooded in 2011 and took out the clubhouse and things, and so the club decided to uh, to pick up and move everything to a, a whole new uh, a whole new setting. What was that project like? Getting a chance to build a a new golf course in North Dakota and really help a club after a difficult time. It was actually a, a really great project for me because that's my home state. Uh, I grew up not far from uh, from Minot. Uh, in fact, we did a project called Hawk Tree in, in Bismarck uh, quite a while ago, and uh, it was uh, you know quite satisfying. I played a lot of golf in, in high school and junior golf on uh, the old Minot Country Club, and so to be able to work with you know people from my uh, my home area was uh, was really rewarding. You had a chance to open a, a lot of golf courses in the United States in the 1990s and, and 2000s. What have the last few years been like, and how, how have you adapted your business with not as many new golf courses being built in the U.S.? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it happened. Uh, obviously, everybody had to kind of look around and, and uh, reevaluate things. And being that I had spent uh, a fair amount of time in Asia in the 80s, and then uh, my first couple of projects when I went on my own were actually in Thailand and China. Uh, I had a history there, and, and I wasn't afraid to, to jump on an airplane and go over and round up new business. So Mitch Scarborough and I did that, and uh, we had a, a nice run from, uh, you know, about 2010, 
2009 to 15 or so. And then, you know, when China decided that they weren't going to uh, do any more golf courses, things changed a great deal. And you know, we have a project in Vietnam, but, uh, you know, I don't see it being the rush that it was in the past. I think it's going to be uh, new projects are going to be a little, a lot more scarce. What is it like working in a country like Vietnam or Mexico or China compared to the United States? What are some differences in building a golf course there compared to building a golf course here? In some ways it's easier, in some ways it's harder. Uh, you know, when you're working in a foreign country and it isn't your, your first language or any of your languages, uh, the uh, the client has to deal with more of the um, the permitting and and, and, and the, the basic uh, paperwork of the project. So you're not going to as many uh, you know community meetings and that kind of thing. You're not dealing with things like uh, you know FEMA or the Corps of Engineers. Uh, and so it's uh, it, it's some ways easier, but the travel and language and the other parts and uh, make it make it more difficult in ways. But I, I've always enjoyed traveling the world, and I've always enjoyed experiencing new cultures and uh, and take that on with with kind of enjoyment rather than rather than. Uh, uh, not liking doing something new. I, I really enjoy doing something new. What cultures particularly fascinate you? What are some things you've seen overseas that you would have never have had a chance to see if you just worked here? Golf-wise, I have to say it was Ireland. You know, I, um, I lived in uh, in Europe uh, from '87 to '91. I worked all over Europe and Asia in '87 to '91, and and I got to see a lot of things, but really fell in love with the courses of Ireland and, and became they became kind of the, the staple of, of what I believed in golf, and, and at least for, for, you know, new courses. And uh, that was probably the biggest influence that I had. You know, doing other things is trying to figure out what, what the golf culture is all about these days. Uh, I'm a great believer that, that the game is supposed to be fun, and, and when I go to Ireland, I'm smiling and giggling the whole time I'm there because it's so much fun, because the diversity of the land is unique. Even if I wasn't playing golf, just walking around this land just makes me smile. To be able to have an art form where you can actually experience the, the art form from within, that particular art form is unique, and then being able to compete against an art form is, is, is terribly unique in the world. And, and it's really, well, that should be what, what golf is all about. Being able to to, uh, to com- compete with an art form while you're in it, and it's supposed to be enjoyable. You know, we uh, we the game was invented as a pastime to walk from the from from the town to the ocean, and uh, it, it, you know it, it was it was something that's supposed to be fun. I think golf has turned into something other than that, at least in you know certainly over the years. But in the U.S., it it really has uh, taken on a different sort of blue blood mantra to it that, that I'm not a huge fan of, and uh, they, I think we've missed expanding golf in a lot of ways because of that. We deal with a lot of golf course superintendents, and we hear the debate a lot whether golf course maintenance is an art or a science. Is there a similar debate in golf course architecture? And explain the, the difference between the art of golf course architecture and maybe some of the, the science behind it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's an interesting question, because golf course architecture or golf course design is is it's an embodiment of a lot of different parts of knowledge uh you know what they say is that an engineer knows a great deal about a, a little bit and an architect knows a, a a little bit about a great deal and so 
ability to combine art form with technical expertise is kind of the way I look at it. Uh, I'm very, very detailed in what I do. And the industry itself has a wide spectrum of how people work. It's not like uh, if you're an architect for a, you know, putting up a building, you work a certain way and you have to produce certain documents and you have to do this and this, and, and you have to be licensed and do all these things. Where in, in the golf industry, uh, it's anywhere from jumping on a bulldozer, pushing dirt around until you get it where you like it, to being extremely detailed and organized with all your documents and, and things like that. And the you know, it's always been sort of uh, understood or or uh, presumed that if you were really good with, with the topos, uh, uh, that you couldn't be very creative. But I think if you, know, if you look at our website, you'll see that the things we've done are, are pretty creative, but yet I'm, I'm able to, to produce documents that, that you can bid and build to in a very efficient way. So really what, what I do when I'm designing is I'm trying to be as creative as possible, trying to make unique and interesting holes that are unique to themselves, certainly within the golf course, but hopefully within you know the, the spectrum of courses that I've done. But in order to do that, you have to kind of go outside the box a lot. And in doing that, you're now creating technical problems to be able to create these unique situations. Sometimes it's there in the land and all you have to do is find it. Sometimes there are, are what I call hot spots where it might be a grove of trees or it might be a wetland and you try and use it and, and maximize it within the golf course. But you also then create technical problems that, that you have to solve. And so it's, it's in, a, in a particular setting, a design session when I'm sitting in, in my studio creating this and this, then I they also then create a problem I have to solve it then I go I go back and forth from creative to technical you know a thousand times a night while I'm doing this so it's it's an interesting question that you raised and and I hope that answer kind of got there but that's that's generally how I look at it so I can speak from my own experience when I'm writing there are days or moments where I can go in front of my computer and I have it I call it writing a wave a lot of thoughts come out it really flows and then other times it's kind of forced. I don't have it, and I need to step away or go right somewhere else. What do you do when you get stuck? What are some things to get you through the uh, parts of the process maybe where it's not flowing as well? <laughs> well, you hit that right on the head. I, uh, I, I remember the first time that I, I was asked to be able to do something like that, and you know, the first time you experience the, the creative lock, um, you're in a panic situation, which just makes it worse. <laughs> And so, you know, that could go on, as you know, for, for days, weeks, months, whatever it might be. Uh, but I have found that there's a couple of things. Ireland is one. I, I, I just envision holes in Ireland, and I think of this and this and this. And, and once I understand what we can get away with, where the edge of the envelope is, uh, then I have a better feeling for, for how things can work now. You know, there, there are certain unwritten rules here in the U.S. that you have to follow that well, I typically don't. Um, but in, in Ireland, you can get away with just about anything because it's just natural natural ground. So I've, I've used that inspiration to kind of expand my envelope. And much like I've, I've heard uh, musicians talk when they write music, you'll listen to other things and you'll get motivation or inspiration from them. So when I play a golf course, a new golf course that I haven't been on before, I'm looking at it purely as a physical structure. I don't care that it had a U.S. Open. 
I don't care that there's a historic thing. I don't care that the average income is, you know, $10 million a year. All I care about is the physical structure <clears throat> of this particular course and are there any ideas that I want to steal. And when I say steal, I mean I want to use them for inspiration because every time I've tried to steal an idea or a golf hole, by the time I get it, to completion in the design process and then especially in the construction process, it's a totally different animal. It's a totally different concept and totally different idea. But it was that inspiration that, that got me off the mark so that I could then start to flow. And then at that point, it's typically, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, I've got Van Morrison on my stereo, and I'm, I'm now I'm cooking, and it just starts to really come out. Like you say, it starts to flow. And that's sort of my process, not necessarily in that order. It's always different, but that's kind of how I get there. Now, what do you do when you finish a project that's obviously euphoric, the, the golf course is getting ready to open, but then you're at the beginning stages of the next project, going through the process all over again? How do you motivate yourself from going to the high of the opening to the, the grinded out sketches and preparing a, a golf course? I think they're two different. you get are when you're working with uh, you know usually with with uh, agencies of some kind that, uh, that 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 can be difficult and drawn out but you know the, the first part the, the part of being in my studio and being creative that's a high in itself you know and obviously uh, opening a new course is is a, is a high with trepidation you know you're you you think it's good or you've already found the, the warts in what you do but um, you know, you're just waiting to see what the impressions are and 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 dealing with impressions on people for for your work is can obviously uh, be kind of dicey. Um, it's funny in the golf world where a lot of people have uh, what's the right word? Well, when you when you listen to someone say something nice or not nice about your golf course, you're always trying to to read whether there's, there's an agenda. And golf today has become it's it's a funny funny thing. It's almost become like politics where there's Everybody chooses a side, and then from there out, it's an, there's an agenda to it. And you can pretty easily, after after a while, figure out who and who does not have an agenda when they're either being critical or supportive of you. And and uh, that you have to take carefully because you don't want to go down the right or wrong path with your future work based upon comments like that. Now let's step out of the studio for a moment. When you get onto a site and onto land that you've never seen for the first time, what are you looking for? What type of information are you trying to gather? As we talked about, that's another high in itself, is, is being able to, to uh, um, go out and see a new piece of land and, and be excited and just stand there and start, start to be creative and envision things. But typically what I do is I look for what I call hot spots. And I find the big outcroppings, or I find the potential for a great grove of trees, or I find, as I said earlier, a, a great natural wetland setting that you can uh, work in and around. So I find that the spots on the site that lend themselves to being spectacular and then figure out how to fit golf holes in and around them. And then, obviously, then you have to connect. Say you have five, six hot spots on a course. Well, you put those holes in first, and then you connect them with the other holes, and, and then you have to blend those holes together um, to, to make them all fit sort of a, you know, like a, 
uh, a pinstripe on a suit. It has to, with a tie, it has to all sort of work together and has to be complementary. And so uh, that's kind of the combination. But I always start with the hot spots and then go out from there. Have you ever stepped on a site, looked at it, knew that it was a spectacular piece of land, but think, how are we going to build a golf course here? Oh, gosh, every day, <laughs> or every, <laughs> almost every time. Uh, for some reason, I've uh, I've had a lot of uh, really rugged, mountainous-type uh, settings uh, thrown my way, and I don't know if that's uh, become a, a trademark or not, but it, we've, we've certainly had our share of them. And, and it's kind of fun to, to take the really dramatic, figure out how to get it to make it work and be playable, and then how to make it uh, in such a way, uh, put it in such a way that it is constructible as well. And so, you know, that's, that's something that happens, uh, probably has happened a lot in my career, and I, you know, I kind of enjoy it. I really enjoy the challenge of trying to figure it out. Now, have you stepped on any of these sites, realized that it was spectacular, and then the thought went through your head, how are we going to pay for what we want to do here? Um, yeah, I th- yeah cer- certainly that's always the case. I've been uh, very fortunate uh, that I was uh, mentored by people that, that were able to ingrain in me, and I had done enough construction before I got into the design industry uh, on golf courses that um, that taught me I had to be efficient, because it was frustrating for me to go out, do something, and have someone come in and say, no, that's wrong, and I go, well, how do you know? It's as well, it's in my head, and I'm going, well, how am I supposed to know that? And so I was always looking for someone that would, would have detailed documents. And so once I found that, I, I was able to build easier. So when I got in the, the, the uh, uh, got in the position of being able to design, I chose to become very, very good at contours and very, very good at organization. And that's important on a mountain setting because if you make a if you make a mistake on a rugged setting like that, when you're dealing with rock and things, uh, it costs great deals of money. If you make a mistake in flat sand and rolling sand, it's How do you separate beauty from practicality, and do you think about the maintenance of the, of the golf course and the future maintenance of the golf course when, when you're designing it? I, I look at that as two questions. Beauty and practicality all fall in the, uh, under, under the uh, category of fun. In fact, everything falls in the category of fun. Uh, you know, As far as I'm concerned, you can take uh, all of the course ratings, things that they have, and all the, the ways they have of rating it. And you can, you can basically just say, um, I just got done with 18 holes on a scale of 1 to 10. How much fun did I just have? Because there, there should be no other reason to design a golf course unless you're truly trying to create something that is, uh, is there to challenge you know, professional players, and that's a whole different animal. But it's, it's only about fun, it's a, but that it then encompasses it encompasses beauty. It encompasses creativity. It encompasses variety. Uh, all of the things that are there are there to be able to go out and put giggles on people's faces. And I've often said that I can. 
consider myself to be an endorphin salesman because I want people smiling and, and giggling and happy while they're playing golf, even if sometimes they might get a little frustrated. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride, and it's a lot of fun. So that is, that's kind of my overriding theme, fun and playable, only two rules that I have in golf course design. Now, as far as maintenance goes, um, I guess I've done a lot of things that have a lot of long flowing lines in the in, in the, the golf course themselves, even though they might be in mountainous settings. Um, my my fairway lines tend to be long and and uh, not overly uh, sloping, well, with some exceptions. But I would say that my bunker style is has. Gotten some interesting comments in, in the past about uh, you know what, what it looks like with the big as we call muscle bunkers and the, you know the the, the uh, parts of the bunkers that you have to fly mount. Typically, we do not have a lot of sand on our golf courses, and uh, we don't have a, a, a huge number of bunkers, and we typically don't have much sand. But the but the bunker itself, even though the USGA says that the bunker that the sand is the is the hazard. I look at the entire complex of the bunker as a hazard or as an obstacle. I prefer to use obstacle. And um, from you know from that point, there's a you know a lot of the a lot of the muscle bunker edges and the surrounds you have to mow with a fly mow. And I understand this. Uh, I also know that working on a ground screw, I was responsible one summer for having to take the sand out of a bunker that was very flashing and I had to, every morning I had to go around and shovel and tamp the sand back up on the hill because it had just washed out from from uh, irrigation or rain <laughs> and so I, I came to hate doing that and so uh, I, when I designed bunkers I was looking for a different way and uh, I found a style that I really liked it was it morphed out from something I saw in Ireland that it kind of morphed into what what uh, what we have today and and uh, we don't use them on every course, and it's not all you know. They're not, it's not always the same, but it's of the same family in a lot of cases. But if you take that area that you fly mow, instead of having to shovel and pack sand every morning on flash bunkers, and you take that, and you realize that if you use uh, you know a growth regulator of sort on the faces of those bunkers, you only have to fly mow it once every two weeks. So it really is lower maintenance because we don't have as many of them because they are so powerful. And the points of accent is what I'm looking for, long lines with strong points of accent. And because of that, I, I consider those bunkers to be less maintenance if you look at the overall scope of the golf course. How does a rugged site in North America compare to a rugged site in Asia and some of the other parts of the world you worked? Well, I think it's all. it, it pretty much is all the same. Uh, you can find places just as rugged or rugged, more rugged in China and and uh, here in the states, and you know it's all it's comparable. Um, some of them are really, really rugged, and you know some of them aren't. Uh, some of the China sites that we've had were, were just fall off the earth, uh, uh, rugged, and you know even point of crazy. But that's the fun of trying to figure it out and, and to be able to hit new kinds of shots. Some of your courses are approaching anniversaries and milestones. And if I'm not mistaken, the sanctuary in Colorado is 20 years old in 2017. What do you remember about that project? How unique was it? And have you visited that course recently? Just tell our listeners a little bit about that whole concept in Colorado. 
Well, Sanctuary was uh, you know, it was a brainchild of uh, D- Dave and Gail Whittinger. Uh Dave uh, and Gail were the founders of Remax International, the real estate firm. And uh, he had uh, some Arabian horses that uh, that he that he show, uh, were show horses, and uh, he wanted to consolidate them from places around the country, and and was looking at buying that land to do that. But he told them it was too rugged for horses. <laughs> and then he took up golf. We met, and we went out. We looked at it. And, uh, you know, he told me that he talked to a few other guys in the industry and that, uh, that there are some that said that, you know, you couldn't, it's too rugged for a golf course, couldn't put it on there. And, uh, thankfully I didn't know that, uh, at the time. And, and we managed to get the project done and finished before someone told me that. <laughs> so it was, it was quite interesting. Uh, it's another interesting thing is that there's, you know, the only members are Dave and Gail and, uh, they, are very very generous people, and they uh, allow several, well, many charities uh, a summer to to use the golf course for their own charities. And I, I believe the number that they the, that they've raised now is is uh, right around ninety million dollars in charity that they've raised uh, by just allowing places to use sanctuary since they opened in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, how satisfying is that number when when you hear that something you had a part in building has helped? So many people beyond the, the golfers that enjoy it on a regular basis. I mean, that's hugely satisfying. It has to be, and uh, and I'm I'm always uh, a little surprised that it doesn't get more notoriety in the business. You know, he's not part of the golf world per se. Um, he just happens to you know own this golf course, and uh, you never hear much about all the charity work that's that's done. From sanctuary, you know, the only way you can get on it is an invitation from Dave, uh, one of the charity events, and so um, I'd like to see it get more no- more notoriety within the golf industry, and uh, and be recognized for what it is because I think he's done such a great service for for the game and well for all the all the charities that uh, benefit from it. Have you ever been working on a site? where you just found something wacky below the ground? Like you're thinking this seems like more like an archaeological dig right now than than a a golf course project? Have you had those situations where you found something rare on the course, whether it's a dinosaur bone or some other artifact? Uh, Yeah, but I'm not going to go into them. (laughs) No problem. I I figured that that would be a a sensitive question, but I had to get that out there. (laughs) Yeah, no, we found some. Also, have you considered doing renovation work? Have you done any renovation work, or have you been just sticking to new projects? When I first got out of uh, first got out of college, I went to work for uh, Dick Nugent in Chicago, and Dick uh, had some renovation projects going. And because I had construction experience, the first day I walk in, he hands me an airline ticket and says, "Here, you're going to Lacrosse, Wisconsin." <laughs> and so uh, that year, I was in charge of run, running basically five renovation projects. So. You know, I did those and, and then uh, kind of went a different direction and was involved in a couple more. And renovation projects are always, you know, varied because it can be anything from, from redoing a bunker to blowing up an entire project and building a whole new one, and much as we did in uh, Snowmass Club in Colorado near Aspen. Uh, 
had a golf course there, and we used the same boundary. We used the ground as it was at that time, and we basically just uh, rerouted the whole thing in a completely different manner, moved the clubhouse. It was a brand-new golf course, and uh, it just happened to be that, that there was a golf course there before us, but it didn't really um, have any effect on what we did. So, you know, those are the kind of two extremes, and then there's everything in between. Um, you know some of the some of the new things that are coming out, and you know with the, with the, a lot more, uh, a lot less uh, new projects coming out. I would, I, I have an interest in doing some of the bigger renovations, uh, but not so much the smaller renovations. As we mentioned before, some of your your courses are coming up on milestones or anniversaries. How often do you get to to go back and see one of your projects, and what are some ones that you visited? recently that really stand out to you and, and make you say, hey, this course has aged r- really well? I just came back from uh, Minot Country Club yesterday, actually, with some friends. And, uh, you know, we play Black Rock up here in Idaho, and uh, we spent our summers, so we got a group together to go play Minot. And uh, obviously I play Black Rock a lot. I play Sanctuary uh, a few times a, a summer. And, you know, and then some of the other ones as well, when you, when you, you can get there, it gets to be the point you just can't go to all of them all the time. But, uh, you know, I like to stop in and say hi to everybody as, as often as, as possible. What's next for you? What's something you haven't accomplished in your career that you would like to pursue? You know, I don't know. That's, uh, I, I don't really, I don't think I look at it that way. I, I think uh, every project I, I get, I put my heart and soul into. Anytime, as you know, when you, when you form something from nothing, uh, your heart and soul are, are in it automatically. Um, and so... I can say that any project I take on is the most important thing I'm doing. I don't really have any goals that uh, that, I, that you know. I just I want to be known as the guy that put out golf courses that were creative and fun. You know, quirky is part of that. So um, <laughs> it's funny uh, the, uh, the the quirky part of it. Uh, you know, I used to I used to uh, be sensitive about things like that. Now, when somebody says quirky, and they don't mean good, I still take it as good because when you go to Ireland, everything is quirky. And that's why it's fun. And uh, if someone says to me, says, uh, he says, hey, where's the windmills? I go, you know why they put windmills on miniature golf courses? Why? Because they're fun. <laughs> so so I, I look at, I'll do anything, I'll do anything uh, uh, I can possibly do to give, put a giggle on people's face. And I guess people remember things that are different right you don't necessarily always remember normal or what's the same thing as everyone else is doing i think when you're a creative person like yourself different is good is kind of the mantra you have to go by absolutely different is good it has to be playable and certainly maintainable it has to be maintainable as well but that's a that's a conversation um not that doesn't necessarily have to be with the golfing public but it has to be in my my brain path of ideas but i it also you know you have to make sure that it can be a constructed and be maintained but that's sort of on a separate thing that that the golfing public doesn't need to be aware of the superintendent certainly do um but you know i i want to be different unique i want to be fun i want to be a little out there um because that's how you stretch the envelope and you know i think in the golf the golf world of the last however many decades has has been reproducing um, things upon themselves, I think, in a lot of ways. There are some new things going on, certainly, and, and creative guys are doing fun stuff. But I think there's, there's 
been this sort of quiet, unwritten rule that you know you have to follow what tradition is. But, you know, if I, if I see a, if I go play a golf course, and I'm enamored with the history of it or the fact that it has this great tournament on it or whatever it might be, uh, and I start to be inspired by those ideas from that place, and I'm I'm being inspired because of the uh, reputational aspect of the course rather than the physical structure of it, I'm going to be putting out golf course golf course holes or golf holes or golf courses that are are um, probably unimaginative and, and uh, somewhat uh, somewhat lacking in my own view. So I, I I have to separate. I've gotten fairly good at that, where I can separate all of the uh, all of the hype and all of the glamour from a golf course and look at it purely as a physical structure. Well, Jim, this was very enjoyable. I think we'll save the maintainable conversation for another day. I really appreciate you joining the the podcast and telling our listeners what you're up to and giving some of your thoughts about the creative process. I know people are going to enjoy listening to this, and thanks a lot for the time. I appreciate it, Guy. Thanks so 